The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think, feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And once again, this week is no exception. We have a wonderful return guest. One of my earliest guests on Guys Guys Radio when I was kind of uh, evolving beyond the relationship type guests. I had a lot of dating experts and relationship guests based on my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love. And uh, I got discovered by a few publicists who started sending me different types of guests, thought leaders in different areas. And one of them, one of my first non-relationship, non-dating guests, if you will, was a gentleman by the name of Don Oscar Miro Quisada. And he's back. He's a shaman. And he's from Peru. And he's a fascinating guy. And he's a great guy. He's a real guy's guy. And we're going to talk about shamanism today. It's a term that a lot of people have heard of, but really don't know too much about what it's all about. And what are some of the foundations, the fact versus the fiction, etc. He's got a book, it's called Common Sentience Shamanism, Personal Quests of Communion with Nature and Creation. It features Don Oscar and Miro Quisada, but it also has a, a group of other folks who've contributed chapters. Let me just read off a couple of their names. Bonnie McLean, Adele Kelleher, Annette Asmai, Judy Lemon, Debbie Irvine, Allison Kenny. And there's a lot more, and it's a terrific book, and I can't wait to talk to my friend Don Oscar once again because he's got a really interesting personal history, as well as a lot of the information he's going to bring us today about what is and what is not shamanism. And I just want to get a little lay of the land here for everybody, some context. You know, we're going to talk about plant medicine and things like that, and we in no uh, in our show here on Guys Guys Radio, I am no in no way, shape, or form endorsing the use of anything because I'm not a doctor and I'm not this is not about prescribing things this is about just sharing information about experts in their specific fields and then it's up to you to determine is this something I want to learn more about is this just not for me can this help me live my best life can it help me raise my vibration and frequency that's up to you. I bring you the information, I bring you the guests, and you take it from there. And I know you're not going to vibe with everything and everyone, but I'll bring you so much information and so many different guests. I've interviewed over 650 people that you have plenty to pick and choose from. And our goal here, as always on Guys Guys Radio, is to bring new information, new thinking, open people's minds up, open people's hearts up, open people's spirits up to, to new to the new, to the information that's out there. And a lot of the new information, like the information about shamanism, is really old information because these are practices that have been done by indigenous people for centuries. And sometimes the old school becomes the new school, and we're going to get into that today on Guys Guys Radio. I can't wait. So what else is happening? Well, we're rounding the turn to Thanksgiving, and it's such a great holiday, you know. 
It was always my favorite holiday. Family, food, football, just a lot of fun stuff. And now it's a little bit different because my family is all over the place. I'm out here in California. What's left of my family is in New Jersey for the most part. And I don't eat meat. So I stopped eating meat 13 years ago. My wife doesn't meet, eat meat either. My, my son does. He's, he's nine and we don't, we don't cook meat for him in the house, but we know he's going to be, there's going to be meat out there when he goes to school and this and that. So we figure whatever he wants to eat, it's up to him. We'll just serve him what we want to serve him when we're at home. That's at least our policy. And then he can determine what he likes and what he doesn't like as he gets a little older. And but that changes Thanksgiving. The, the whole lay of the land is different because once, when you're not eating meat, like I'm in a, from an Italian-American family, we would start out with meat ravioli and tomato sauce and with a meat sauce often. And then we would have, or we would have chicken soup with uh, what they're called capalettis and they're filled with meat. It's like uh, pasta filled with meat. And then turkey with meat stuffing and then all kinds of stuff. Everything was based on meat. And now it's a very different occasion. We'll get a, a, one of these non-meat plant-based turkeys and we'll, we'll do the ritual of Thanksgiving here in California with my little family and friends, but we're not eating meat. So they're getting the big bird out there and stuffing it. It's not part of the curriculum. And you know what? It's tough for that day. And uh, overall, I don't miss eating meat. And that's just me. I'm not preaching this to anybody. Everybody's got to do what's right for them. And for me, it's been a good decision. I stopped 13 years ago. I've never looked back. And I loved a great cheeseburger and a porterhouse steak. And I just stopped. And it took me a year to kind of wean off of poultry. But I stopped eating beef, pork, poultry over the course of a year. And that was it. And that was 13 years ago. And I feel terrific. And it took me a while to get through that. I, I kind of got a little bit under the weather because uh, my body was detoxing, but it changed things and it changed Thanksgiving a little bit. But what are you going to do? It's one day. I still enjoy my family and friends and the football and uh, I still have a blast. So what are you going to do? You, you can't sacrifice at all. I mean, if I start eating meat now just on one day, I'm not that type of person. Some people can do it in moderation. I'm in or I'm out. And in this case for meat, sorry, I'm out. And it's just my decision, and I'm not telling anybody out there what you should do. you got to do what's right for you, and I love Thanksgiving. So I hope you have a great one. So let's get to it. we got Don Oscar Miro Quisada, return guest to Guys Guys Radio. We're going to talk about shamanism, so let's do it. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, the interview portion of our Radio show, podcast, YouTube, and Rumble. If you're watching, you'll see I have a different studio set up now. We're out of the virtual background, and uh, I think it looks good. And our first guest for this is my return guest today. His name is Oscar Miro Quisada. He's a teacher of shamanism, and he's a wonderful guy. And I've interviewed a lot of other shamans as a result of that. And I recently was treated by one. I had some problems with my hip. And this shaman actually gave me a spirit animal. And we'll talk about that with Don Oscar. But let me tell you a little bit about him. He's got a new book. It's called Shamanism, Personal Quests of Communication with Nature and Creation. It's all about the building blocks of shamanism. And it's got a lot of chapters from individual practitioners 
who are sharing their experience as well as a very deep overview. And I say a deep overview because it gives you the basic building blocks of shamanism as well as drills down into some of the terminology and some of the definitions of things if you're interested in shamanism that you'll want to know. So let me tell you a little bit about Don Oscar. He's a transpersonal psychologist, invited observer to the United Nations Forum on Indigenous Issues, and uh, his website is heartofthehealer.org. And he's done some amazing things. And, you know, you would think being a shaman that he doesn't have a traditional educational background, and he does. He's a well-lettered, well-studied, accredited individual with the Ivy League education. So it's my pleasure to bring Don Oscar Mira Casada back to Guys Guys Radio. Thank you, sir. Forgive me for probably mispronouncing half of those accreditations that you have. Wonderful introduction. To begin with, all the credentials are matter not, for I'm just a friendly holographic projection of the need for a Don Oscar form in the universe. Thanks again for having me. This is a, a labor of love. All shamanic healing service is born from the first human impulse to care for someone or something other than yourself in equal measure or even more. So any person that has that impulse or desire to offer themselves in support of somebody else's process in their restoration of wholeness in their life is practicing shamanism. It's a universal phenomena. And that's what this book is really trying to establish that it's not some exotic, foreign practice. On the contrary, it's part of our DNA. It's part of our genetic predisposition because everybody wants to be a better person and mature their soul in a manner that becomes a spiritualizing catalyst in the world. Mm -hmm. and that's what we're here to do. Fantastic. Let's start at the beginning. For the benefit of our listeners who are not familiar with your journey, you had asthma as a kid, and I think you had a rough childhood going up to about nine or 10 years old, and your family had to move you up to the drier mountain lands in uh, Peru. And one evening, some light beings came to you. Tell us about that. What happened? Very good memory. Uh, yes, this is all detailed in my first book, Lessons in Courage, for those that are interested in knowing more. Yet, I was a very sickly child, and I uh, suffered from severe asthma and was having hypoxia, bouts of, uh, of deep, deep uh, uh, suffocation. So, um, the situation was so severe that at age 10, the uh, specialists in respiratory elements of, in Peru, in Lima, uh, my father being a physician himself, uh, recommended that they take me up to the mountains in the central Andean area of a place called Chosica, about 11,000 feet above sea level, because uh, the air there would be restorative to my breathing. It did to a certain extent, but not really. Uh, the, the, I, I had to be with uh, IV dexamethasone, which is their steroids, to allow my alveoli to open up and be able to absorb enough oxygen. So I was really damaged with my adrenal glands and kidneys and could not run. I was a very sickly thing. And one night, uh, when I had one of my episodes of hypoxia and I was suffocating and I started to slip out of this 
ordinary three-dimensional reality, I was just fed up with struggling and, and fighting for my life. So I just surrendered and let go. And I was entering into that beyond the veil realm with the tunnel of light and all of the classic near-death experience um, phenomena. And I heard my nickname being called in the background. My father had nicknamed me Eager Beaver. So I heard myself called Beaver, Beaver. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, I, I managed to open my eyes and it was a pitch dark room. Uh, we were living in a very small little motel. And I can see in front of me this shimmering, luminous being that was about seven feet tall with this white robe of light and flanking me to the left and right of my bed were two other beings of light. I call them the shining ones. And they started to communicate with me telepathically, the one standing directly in front of me. They looked like uh, uh, luminous willow trees, cascading energies around them. It was phenomenal. And he started to communicate telepathically in images, not in words, and showing me many aspects of my life and showing me, and this may seem incredulous or sound incredulous to many of your listeners, yet this is my story, and telling me everything about what my future would be like, the relationships I'd have, the marriages, the universities I'd go to, the problems and, and, and trouble I would get into, et cetera, et cetera. And then they said, it's time for you to heal from your asthma, for you will not be able to accomplish these things if you are not healthy in body and sound in mind. And at this point, you are not either. So therefore, close your eyes, take a couple of deep breaths, and just surrender. And I closed my eyes, I laid down, but I could see almost through my eyelids what was going on. They were so bright in their luminosity. And the being of light that was to my left arched himself over and placed his lips on my chest and began to suction. Just like a classic shamanic extraction technique that I learned later on as during my apprenticeship, in which you remove hucha, you remove the density and the miasm, the illness of a person through the suction of it, and then you release it into the ethers, right? So this being did this interminable extraction through the lips and then lifted its body and went and released it. And I saw this whirlwind of all this gook be absorbed into this more refined, higher level of or dimensional reality. At that point, I just passed out. And then I woke up the next morning free of asthma. But I was amnesic. I didn't remember anything at all about that event. I went to my mother who was there at the time because my father was could not come. He was working in Lima at the time, only on weekends. And I told her, mom, 
I'm free of asthma. She said, oh, yeah, you're kidding. I said, no, look, I'll show you. I can run now. And so I started running all over the place, jumping over the river rocks that were there. And she was just flabbergasted. And so when my father came, he checked me out. My lungs were in tip-top shape. Took me back to Lima after a while. I missed that whole year of school, of course. Went back to Lima. Had a reunion with the uh, respiratory specialists. And in fact, they said, this is a miracle. This is one of these cases that we cannot explain with modern allopathic medicine. But your, your son is now free of the asthmatic condition that he had. And now, that's when my life began. Now, I forgot all about that. And in the book, as you mentioned, it, when I was 18, in, one, in my first, or almost 18, in my first shamanic ceremonial experience with my mentor of many years in the northern coast out of that ritual space emerged these three shining ones and i and i saw them and i remembered but don Cereso, my mentor nudged me with his elbow and he said do you remember them so he was seeing them also and that of course turned my life upside down i realized that there was something to this practice of Peruvian shamanic arts that was going to provide me a way beyond my limited conditioned way of thinking that reality is limited by only our five sensorial apperception or what we can experience with our bodies. When, when you had this experience and then fast forward to when you were, you saw the three shining be beings again, what was the context of who you were with? And how did you get there? In other words, what happened to lead you along the path after you were cured of your asthma as a boy, along the path to start the road to shamanism? And obviously, this meeting with the gentleman you were with and the three luminescent beings returning again was a, was a pivotal point in that. But how did you get to that meeting itself? Well, that's a, another long story uh, that is also in the book, but I was a... I grew up fascinated with non-ordinary states of consciousness. So when I was 14 years old, I began, it was, it was during the 60s, and it was, I was a hippie, you know, I was a flower child, what can I say, even in Peru. So I hung around with a bunch of guys, and they were, some of them were surfers also, and I was a surfer. And so we decided to go up north to this incredible surfing beach, yet Right near that surfing beach, there was this renowned healer, a, what, what we call a maestro curandero, a master healer. His name was Don Celso Rojas Palomino, who had the reputation of preparing the, the, the best, the most sublime San Pedro cactus. It's a mescaline-based succulent that is used in, in very traditional healing ceremonies uh, called mesadas. And I was already preparing the San Pedro cactus for my friends when I was, since I was 14 until that time and using it recreationally. And I just wanted to learn his tricks so I could make the better San Pedro. It's also called, its botanical name is Tricuserios Pachanoi or Tricuserios Peruvianes. And it, it, it happened that he, Don Celso Rojas Palomino, the curandero or the folk healer that we went to visit, 
Um, when we arrived to his place, a place called Salas, a small village in the Chongoyape River Valley, north of Peru, of Lima, he looks at me and he says, you stay, you, 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 get out of here. And he sent my other three friends, you know, off and they took the car with them. So I was stuck there. And, that, and that's that night okay. that he invited me into that. Uh, so, after, so after this experience, then what was your what was your path to shamanism? What was for the for the benefit of the folks who, you know, they hear the term shamanism? And we want to bring it down to earth, because, as you said, it's uh, it's been around forever and it's not as mystical as people may think it is. But there are some rituals and there is some training. Tell us, what are the training that takes place to become a shaman? And is there some type of finalizing ceremony for that? I, mean, I have a lot of questions about shamanism around the world, the history of that. Uh, but let's start with the rituals. What did you have to go through to become a shaman? Well, ritual is a foundational aspect of all shamanic practice. The word shaman derives from the Tungusic Siberian in, in Russia, uh, term samang, which means he or she who is a master of fire or who is voluntarily possessed by spirits. In other words, every ritual in shamanic practice involves opening up to a dimension in which there are non-physical entities, power animals, ancestor spirits of the tribal uh, people that you're part of, mountain spirits, everything is animated. We call it a soul animated practice. So the rituals serve to open the door to have communion or contact with this very rich, multidimensional realm of spirit helpers and of great power and force. So the way I put it is this way. Shamanism is a path of healing, but mostly it is a path of serving one's community. It is akin to what is known as the great work, capital G, capital W, which means it requires a deep initiation into the traditions of our indigenous ancestors as well as your own individuation, your own working on yourself. Because there's an inner and there's an outer apprenticeship that is involved in shamanism. The inner apprenticeship has to do with learning about your dreams, interpreting your visions, understanding your epiphanies as guideposts in terms of where to go or how to act in a certain manner that is going to serve your community. So it involves more inner states of awareness and refining your own ability to befriend these non-ordinary states of visionary encounter with this shamanic multiverse. The okay. outer experience or apprenticeship involves either being selected by a teacher or selecting a teacher, learning about the history of that particular tradition that you are involved with, uh, being an expert at the rituals and ceremonies, whether they're for healing individuals and humans or for propitiatory ceremonies to enter into a relationship of balanced reciprocity, of sacred reciprocity, of give and take, 
of receiving and offering forward with the natural world, with the powers of mountains, of rivers, of valleys, and with stone relatives and plant relatives, and entering into this relationship with them through the actual apprenticeship that you learn from your mentor. So we have all of this combined into one seamless experience of service, of understanding that you are willing to, to die, to let go of your attachment or your craving for control and approval based on outside validation of who you are and let yourself become a hollow bone, an empty vessel for the trans, you know, for the expression of the divine port through you. Yes. So this sounds very much to me similar to I was recently accredited and I have a lot of questions. So let's have a let's have a conversation and go back and forth. One is I just got accredited through Joe Vitale's course in Ho'oponopono. And it seems uh -huh. very similar to this because basically one of the proponents is that we're so controlled by our data, our history, that we repeat things over and over again. And when you can clear that data out, then that allows spirit to flow through us. And we have to acknowledge the fact that everything that we do comes from spirit. It's really spirit experiencing itself through us. And it sounds very similar to some of the foundations of uh, shamanism. So that's really good to hear because the more people, more folks I interview, and particularly ones in the spiritual enfoldment area and who do the type of work that you do, there's so many uh, consistencies, yet it comes about in a different way. But everybody seems to be on a similar path. And the tenets seem to be about getting ourselves out of the way and allow spirit to work through us. Is that correct? Exactly. exactly. That, is, that is why we are even incarnated on this planet as souls, to understand that we are just passers-by and that we are committed to refining our own ability to merge with source, to become one in the same with creation. That's why this book is called Shamanism, Personal Quests of Communion, not communication, of communion with nature and creation. Communion means coming into community, mm -hmm. merging with a power higher than oneself, like just like you said becoming a vessel, okay. an instrument for let the divine to work through you. Let me ask you about uh, something that I'm sure is of interest to folks, is that is power animals. So many times a shaman will give you a power animal. And I mentioned to you before we went on the air that I had a shaman who actually studied under uh, Alberto Velodo, our friend. And she was working on me for I had some type of twisted thing in my hip from uh, chasing around my son. And it was super painful. So she did some work with me with a lot of different modalities, including uh, acupuncture. But then she said, listen, I'm a trained shaman. Would it be okay if I kind of introduce you to a, a, a power animal? And I said, sure. So we went through a practice and had a different stone I held. And uh, she gave me that animal. And I looked it up in your book and it was, I'm not going to say what it is, because I'm not sure if you're supposed to mention it, but it was under the contour. Mm -hmm. Contour. So, Contour. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? What is it? How do you select the power animal for the individual? Or how does the individual select the power animal? And how does that animal, if you will, act as your ally? And how can you kind of work with it? I had a name came up with me in my head. I gave it that name. I tr do my best to communicate with it and thank it every day for being with me. It seems to fit my personality. 
Tell us about power animals and uh, allies that we have. Well, obviously, you have truly entered into a state of communion with Guntur. As a matter of fact, the poster behind you is very re revealing as <laughs> to that relationship. Uh, so traditionally speaking, power animals are not given to you. They show up. And usually okay. the, it happens when you go on a vision quest, on a pilgrimage to a very sacrosanct, ancestral, sacred place that your mentor or your tribal uh, guide is, uh, tells you to go to. You go to this place to seek a vision, to call for a name, to call for a spirit helper, for the visitation of a power animal or a, or a spirit being of that ancestral culture that you are apprenticing in, to become your ally, to become your partner in, on your journey. And it takes a lot of self-sacrifice and hardship, a lot of fat, usually you have to fast and and practice austerities and and go to some very inhospitable areas, uh, you know, geophysical areas. It's a trial. It's a it's a it's a hero and a heroine's quest. Once you're at this place, then if you have done the proper feedings, the rituals to feed the land and to feed all the other spirit beings and the stone relatives and the tree relatives and everything around you, then you enter into a state of emptiness, of letting go of who you are as Oscar, for instance. And there are specific techniques to do that. And that evening, when you're in your journey work, or you can also do journey work yourself, like probably the woman that you worked with led you on a journey to commune mm -hmm. or have yes. contact with this power animal. In your dream time or in your journey work, an, an animal will come. Yet that animal is not all that friendly, usually in a traditional initiatory sense, it begins to dismember you. It, you know, breaks mm -hmm. you apart. It pulls the flesh off your bones. It pulverizes your bones until you become totally non-existent. That is the classic way. Sometimes that's propitiated and intensified by the communion with plant sacraments, also in some traditions, of course. Now, uh, after that, though, that same animal will reconstitute you, will put you together, and you will experience it reassembling you and placing you together. But the body that, he, that you are being reborn into is beyond just the physical three-dimensional form. It's a luminous body. It's a body of light. But the key is that that animal needs to transfer its power to you. Mm -hmm. It's spiritual wisdom. So usually what happens is that same animal or the person that's working for you, in the case maybe with this woman, she may blow the, the kaipa, the, mm -hmm. the power, the, 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 yes. the, the spirit of that animal. So blow it yes. into you, right? Yes. And, boom, and so that becomes a very powerful reintegration that elevates you in your sense of who you are beyond your social conditioning and sets you on the path to becoming a healer yourself always having that animal next to you that animal forever is going to be next to you mm -hmm. yeah, you can it's call on it 
It's interesting that where I live now, this particular animal, I, I, and it's a predatory animal, I was standing and it flew. I thought it was going to, it flew right at me, out of the sky, right at me. And I, I just out of the, it just appeared. And it flew, I thought it was going to fly into my home. And I was standing there and it came right at me. And it was literally two feet away. And then it took off and it had a little, a little prey that it had gotten. But it was a ma- magnificent and its wingspan was huge. And it just came right at me. I'm like, oh, my God. And then it, was, it went off. That is an extraordinary blessing, my good friend. Uh, it, an experience like that means that, that you have been selected without having an inflated ego or anything like that, but that you have been selected to become that winged one yourself, to learn to fly into that higher realm, into the Hanakpacha, into the upper world that corresponds to the abode where that winged one uh, resides, and to be able to commune with the source of all of our animal allies. So, little by little, you should start through your dream, dreaming both sleep dreams, daydreams, reverie, and your creation of a new path that involves a spiritual, a shamanic-based spiritual practice. Begin to feel at times that you have wings, and you're going to feel this lightness of being in which... And especially when you're laying down right before going to sleep, you may feel like this rising, almost like an out-of-body experience. And that is perfectly normal because you have been not only given the spirit medicine of the animal ally during that practice that you had with this woman, but you also had that vision and that experience of it coming and visiting you in the physical three-dimensional realm. When that happens, it's a sign that you are ready to transcend whatever limitations you have. Fantastic. I'm glad I brought that up, and thank you. I Mm -hmm. I think a lot of folks out there, when they hear shamanism, we talk about the plant medicines, and they're thinking, oh, ayahuasca or mushrooms or mescaline, whatever it is. Is it are these necessary for the rites of passage, or are these deployed at certain times as needed for specific individuals. In other words, in the in the famous Carlos Castaneda books, uh, Don Juan gave him a lot of things and uh, that he took, and uh, he had a lot of visions and a lot of experiences. And then Don Juan eventually said, "You know what? I gave these to you because you needed them because you were so stiff." But it, the point I think was that maybe not everybody needs to go through their practice with the plant medicines, or do they? There's all forms of practice that can nudge us beyond ourselves so we encounter a shamanic reality that uh, will enhance our service as shining ones on planet. To put it another way, plants, wands, feathers, any ceremonial item that has a shamanic soul is a catalyst for awakening us to a much more broader visionary reality, awakening our soul, expanding our soul presence beyond just 
our natural worries of survival and and self-protection. So I've got to think that it's important, Don Oscar, that when I'm indulging in something like this, that you have to be with somebody who really knows what they're doing. And because there's so much of this is done as like, you know, light entertainment, and it's not about that. Oh, no, absolutely not. That's why they're called plant sacraments. Mm-hmm. Plants are, are not to be used, our plant allies are not to be used for recreational purposes and not overly relied upon either. There's a long process of preparation in the, in the traditional indigenous uh, ways th- that are even more demanding than the actual experience of being under the influence of these Mm-hmm. plant allies and it has nothing to do with the alkaloid or the chemistry of the plant or the compounds of the plant it has to do with the spirit of the plant learning from the spirit of the plant and there's multiple shamanic traditions around the world that do not use plants at all they use drumming they use rattling they use pilgrimages and 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 fasting and and you know sweat lodges and sun dances and all sorts of other tools and techniques that uh, through one which one can attain the same levels of uh, of awareness that you can with plants plants should only be used in my humble opinion under the guidance of a true tribal or indigenous community elder okay if not you're just going ahead and flirting you're flirting with becoming the sorcerer's apprentice like mickey mouse in that disney movie and unleashing powers you cannot control Mm -hmm. and that's not what you want to do agreed the name of the book is shamanism personal quests of communion with nature and creation common sentience my special guest Don Oscar Miro Quesada. In the book, we don't have too much time left, but I want to get to this. He has five axioms for an awakened soul. Consciousness begets matter. Language begets reality. Ritual begets relationship. Nature begets purpose. And love begets life. How, how does this transpire? How does this work? I am very impressed, my good brother. This is wonderful. Those are my, some of my favorite uh, teachings. Okay. Consciousness. Before any of this existed, this physical phenomenal universe, it was an image. There was no matter. And by saying consciousness begets matter, the word begets means it's generative of, it gives rise to. So before the, the material world, there we are, there's consciousness, awareness. Now Consciousness is the same as soul in shamanic understanding. When you enter into communion, because there's, there's five steps, ceremonial steps that align with those five axioms. Consciousness begets matter requires communion or alignment with creation, creator, creatrix, source. It is the primacy or the a priori nature of consciousness that one realizes is at the source of one's existence, one's ultimate ground of being, as we call it. After that, language, the words we use, structure or beget the reality we surround ourselves with. Whatever 
language in whatever idiom, in whatever ethnic expression, has a way of manifesting the social conditions around us. Think of politics alone and how language is used to create such sometimes passionate, fanatical, fundamentalist, uh, you know, madness around the world. Then, of course, ritual relationship. Everything that is in the natural world, if you notice, is a ritualized expression from the mating dances of our animals to the actual movement of our spiral galaxy has pulses, patterns, order, continuity, a ritualized expression. It has a breathing, a great breathing and a pulse, a rhythm to it. And that is what ritual is about. And the shamanic way, when you do ritual, what you're doing is you're mimicking the above or the macrocosmos into the below. And therefore, you are making visible the invisible. So ritual allows us to develop relationships. Everything that is a relationship has a ritual component to it. You and I talking right now is a ritualized form of communion mm -hmm. and the expression of language. Now, nature begets purpose. A simple observation of the natural world and its ways, the wisdom of the mother, biomimicry alone, that notion is you, we, if we guided our lives by the way Mother Nature works, her trim tab solutions, her being able to attain so much more with the least amount of effort, and just observe how the natural world does that and develop our technologies based on that understanding, we would not have the problems with the environmental degradation that we have right now. So nature begets our purpose. We will find our purpose by mimicking or imitating the natural world as humans. And the fifth most important, of course, is love begets life. Because without the impulse to love, to have a compassive, deep feeling and investment in, in being alive, that one's life does not reach its, its full uh, purpose, mm -hmm. its, its fruition. It doesn't love it. So everything that is worthy of, uh, of being medicine in the world has to be born of love. That's why I've always said that universal shamanism is a labor of love. So if you think of it, consciousness, matter, language, reality, ritual, relationship, nature, purpose, love, life. life. Beautifully stated. Beautifully stated. Let's, we don't have too much time left. So the name of the book, so everybody knows once again, is Shamanism, Personal Quest of Communion with Nature and Creation, featuring Oscar Miro Quisada. And there's other authors in there and shamans who talk about some of their experiences and put it into practical terms. So if you really want to learn about shamanism, the foundations and the building blocks, this is a great book to start with. But let's talk about something for our audience bigger, uh, the big issue here. What, what do you sense as a shaman? What's going on out there in our world today? And what can people do? Just everyday people, our listeners, our audience, really good folks out there. What can they do to make their lives better and also make the world a better place? 
Well, that is also a quite individual choice, my friend. Yet, um, I can speak from my own experience. Uh, what I am witnessing in the world right now is a planetary rite of passage. We're going through a global initiation, uh, a, a calling to uh, unleash our, ourselves from the shackles of, uh, of an obsolete um, way of relating to the natural world and uh, returning to a relationship with, uh, with life in which there's sentience, there's awareness in everything. So as long as we are in this phase of, of being lost as a humanity, we're going to be experiencing a lot of pain, suffering, and 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 misguidance so the important thing to do is realize that this has happened numerous times before that this is not the first era or the first planetary phase in the evolution of life as a whole to have impacted humankind it's happened and it's been recorded in the great spiritual epics of the past and in the Paleolithic cave art that you can see in the temple sites. It's all recorded, the past eras that we've been through of, of a death and a rebirth. Yet, what happens when there's a death birth? There's, there's, it's like being a midwife. And so we are now being given the opportunity to birth, to be midwives of a new, more healthier humankind. How to do that at the individual level, in my opinion, is quite simple. Gratitude fuels generosity, which opens to grace. And by that, I mean the following. One can be grateful for even the most contrary situations in life that have been painful as an opportunity to grow. Every morning when I wake up, before I even get out of bed, I say thank you. And I say thank you to great spirit, to creator, to source, for whatever is going to come my way. And that whatever comes my way, I will learn that it is a teacher. It is something that is going to help me take my own inventory if necessary, refine my own, my own self be able to realize that the fears, doubts, and insecurities that I may be harboring in me are just a creation of my ego mind, of my stinking thinking and my drunken monkey mind, but not of my soul's purpose. And then I go into the day. And then at nighttime, before I enter into my sleeping, I also open my heart to gratitude and say thank you, Source, okay. for all of beautiful lessons. So I begin with gratitude, I end with gratitude. That gives me a sense of generosity. I'm generous with myself. Being generous with myself, I open to grace, and grace is a blessing that allows one to live in the perfection of the present moment as a blessing. Brilliantly stated, beautifully stated. Thank you. Uh, one other thing that you mentioned that I want to make sure that we bring out and then we'll, we'll close is that you mentioned, you know, the plant allies and our, you know, stone and earth allies, if you will, that, and this is something I picked up. I was interviewing Paul Selig, uh, the famous channel 
He's been on the show a number of times. And one of the things that uh, his guides have been telling him, and I think is is so important, is that we need to recognize the divinity, not just in ourselves, but in other and other people, but in everything. And that means everything, every object, not just animals and trees, but every object, because everything has divinity in it. And we're all part of that. And once we start doing that, it, it changes our lives, it, for, at least for me. Uh, in a very impactful way, when we start recognizing the divinity, even in the the wooden floor, the table, the carpet, the fireplace, the air outside, the plants, the animals, even the car. I say to my car, thank you. I love you. When I get in it, I say to the road, thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And the ho'oponopono because, and I can feel that the road gets no gratitude, nothing. But these are all sentient in some form or fashion there's some, they're alive. They're part of spirit. Help me out with that, Don Oscar. Seems like you've helped your, yourself out quite well, my good brother. <laughs> uh, uh, and I concur wholeheartedly. That's the, that's the shamanic life. The shamanic life is realizing that everything is alive. Everything is sentient. Everything has a soul. And that uh, we can enter into a very sacrosanct relationship with the most seemingly inordinate matter, matter that seems like it's lifeless, has a spirit. Now, um, the divine, the sacred, the cosmic is always with us at all time. And our, in, in the shamanic traditions, we begin to realize that we cannot do anything without first asking permission from a source much greater than ourselves and to be humble and that humility and to be gentle and to walk with beauty on the planet shamanism is really about beautifying and and, and sanctifying life with every breath with every thought with every action and it involves being fully present to the miracle that is this incarnation this life and it's not only the spirits and things and objects it's the unseen it's the wisdom and the consciousness and the sentience of those realms and beings in those realms beyond this earthly realm and that is being a walking theophany as i call it which means making visible the invisible on earth through your presence as a bridge between worlds. Fantastic. Don Oscar Quesada, I call him my friend, even though I haven't seen him in a number of years. He was one of my first non-relationship guests on the show I'm forever. Uh, <laughs> gratitude of that. And I think there was a reason for that. And I thank you for coming back to the show. And you're welcome back on Guys Guys Radio whenever you want, because your message is something that's really healing the world. So thank you for all the wonderful work you're doing. God bless you. I love you. And uh We'll see you soon. Tell everybody where they can find out more about you and your teachings and your website, etc. Much love. Thank you so much, brother. Here it is. <laughs> He's Amazon.com. Heartofthehealer.org. And that's all you need to know. Perfect. Shamanism. Amazon.com. Heartofthehealer.org. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Don Oscar. It's Guy's Guy Radio.
terrific conversation with our friend Don Oscar Miro Quesada. Again, the book is Shamanism. I think we just scratched the surface on what shamanism is really all about. And maybe I'll have Don Oscar come back. We'll do another segment because there's so much to it. And again, the most important thing is it's, it's something that's worth learning about because this is an ancient, these are ancient practices and rituals that have been done for centuries. And now people are discovering them and it's considered kind of like in some ways like a new agey type thing. But it's really not. It's old school. And it's worth taking a look at because it's a lot of it's a lot of it is about healing. A lot of it is about surrender. A lot of it is about love and, and spirit and really raising your vibration and being at one and when sacrifice and in sharing and making the world a better place. So guys, guys, radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA radio here in Southern California, 106.5 FM, 1050 a.m. The podcast and my YouTube and Rumble post worldwide every Thursday. The radio show replays, rebroadcasts every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA. Hey, you can listen live, you can stream, you can download. They have, they're all over uh, the online space, as well as I am also. So you have no excuse not to be able to find your version that fits your consumption pattern for content in terms of guys guys radio the guys guys radio podcast the guys guys radio youtube guys guys uh, we call it guys guys tv and guys guys tv on rumble so you can catch us anywhere i'd ask you if you enjoy the content i bring you each and every week and the guests i bring you please subscribe to our youtube please subscribe to our podcast if that's how you consume us and thank you for your support we're here every week, and again, I've interviewed so many people, and I've got so many people lined up. It's just, we're having so much fun with Guys Guys Radio, and I thank you. You can also check me out on my website, robertmanni.com. I've got over 300 blog posts about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, and also three free chapters for you of my d- debut novel, the source material for everything Guys Guy. It's called The Guys Guys Guide to Love. It's been deemed the male successor to Sex in the City. It's a fast, frothy, sexy romp in the world of advertising in New York City. And it's about friendship and sex and redemption and a lot of stuff that we each go through in our day-to-day lives. And I think you'll be able to relate to it. And a lot of guys dig it because this is how we roll. And a lot of women are interested in it because, hey, this is kind of a peek behind the curtains into the weird, odd world of modern men. So I hope you check it out and I hope you enjoy it. And once again, you get three free chapters on my website. So we're going to be back next week. I want to thank all my wonderful guests who've been with me over the years. And we've got much more coming up. I want to thank my wonderful producer, Chris for the great work she does. But most of all, I want to thank you, my wonderful growing audience. Stay with us. We're growing. We're going to get the message out there about making this world a better place. We can stay positive with all the negativity going on out there. Let's keep reaching up. And as like I always like to say, I'm going to see you next week. And remember, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>